What happens when your worst fear becomes your reality? Hi, I'm Brent Cassidy. Welcome to the Nightmare Success In and Out podcast, where we explore how to overcome your fears and nightmares and set yourself free. We're going to be exploring this topic with guys that was in Leavenworth with and others who survived their own nightmare. These stories can be inspiring, sometimes sad. There's some humor, but hopefully you can come away with a nugget of something that'll help you knock down some of the prisons you built up in your own mind. All right, welcome back, Nightmare Success listeners. Um, you know, this is where you come find out what happens when your worst fear becomes your reality. How do you adapt, survive, overcome? And I always just feel like a lucky guy that gets to sit in the chair and hear these stories because they inspire me. And um, I got to say, I've Jeff Grant has been such a great guy for me to know. He's he runs and, and founded the uh, Progressive Prison Ministries, and uh, we all get on there on a national call um, every Monday night, and it's always interesting because it's people who've gone through similar but different stories. And uh, I, my guest, uh, Charlie, I'm gonna, my, I hope I don't mess up the back. Naselski, is that right? Can I say it right? Okay, that's good. I'm, I'm good. I'm good at messing up names. I know faces, but I can always mess up a good name. I think I, I, I inherited that. But uh, Charlie was, uh, he was on the other night and actually was one of the guys that led the topic. And I was so taken by his just authenticity and, and being vulnerable was his topic. And it was, it brought out so much discussion. And I think it's one of those things that as a society, if we talked a little bit more about that, as far as vulnerability, how that creates authenticity and creates, you know, strong relationships. But um, I think one of the really interesting things that I'm, I, I can't wait to get into with Charlie is, is that he got out of prison. He went through the, he's one of the rare people that went through the whole process and he went to trial he got sentenced and went through the whole deal and, and appealed and all the things that went along with that. And that's, you know, he, he's in the, in the 1% that does that, but he was an attorney and he had a choice to make at a certain point. And, you know, he, he had pride in that, that he had been an attorney, he had worked in it. His kids were both uh, doctors and, and attorneys and he, he, that had been a source of pride within the family Charlie decided to go after that. And I, I went through and read all this motion that went through the uh, uh, Supreme Court of Pennsylvania. And man, what an excruciating process to go through. But I am so proud of Charlie and how he did that. And I, I want to talk about that as far as what it takes to do something that you really want to do. And I'm sure his kids are proud of it. Uh, uh, it's just, anyway, I can't wait to jump into all this. I'm really excited to have Charlie on as a guest. But before we do all that, I want to recognize our uh, show sponsor, Autoplaza Direct. You know, who likes spending a couple of weekends walking car lots, looking for a car? Then you spend four or five hours in the dealership to buy a car. It's kind of like a trip to the dentist. And I've got some friends that are dentists. It's, I really like you guys, Eddie Logan out there. It's just, you know, the idea of going to the dentist. Well, there's a better way to take away all that pain and hassle, getting a car. Autoplaza Direct, they're your personal car concierge. Just tell them the car you want, what you can pay, and they'll go find that car for you. Negotiate your best price and deliver that car to you. They also offer you warranties and financing. It's all full service. Go to autoplazadirect.com to get started with your personal car concierge. The new hassle-free way, the car buying experience you deserve, Auto Plaza Direct. Tell them that Brent from Nightmare Success sent you. 
Charlie, welcome in. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here today. We, uh, Charlie and I just kind of had an interesting conversation before we ever got on here, but, uh, what we didn't talk about Charlie, because I know so much about you by reading your motion with the, uh, Pennsylvania Supreme court. Um, let's let everybody get a chance to know you a little bit about coming back into this thing. As far as Charlie, as a kid, Charlie growing up, Charlie's mom and dad, siblings, what, what was, what was life for you like? as a kid growing up? Well, the first, uh, Brent, thank you for having me. Um, having um, met you through uh, Jeff's organization and now having listened to several dozen of your hundred plus <laughs> podcast series, I, 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 yeah, <laughs> I, I've, I think I have an appreciation of uh, the work you're doing and you. its thank importance. Um, both from the participants' perspective, because they get to share and hopefully benefit others, and from the listeners' perspective, so they have an idea of what what's out there, what we all have experienced, including those who have not actually been through this system, because the felon is an individual that is really very, very unique in this country. Yeah. And uh, most people don't, either don't have the time to understand what they've been through. They don't want to understand it. They can't understand it. Um, but I think it's important at least we give them an opportunity if they're interested. So that's what I think you've done, and, and I applaud you for it. Well, I appreciate that. And I should have known as an attorney, I just should have given you the floor, let you have no. your opening. <laughs> No, 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 no. That's it, fine. It's fine. So the so you 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 presented the first question about what was my my childhood like. It's well, yeah, because I mean, you know, the because uh, I, I there, there's no doubt, Charlie. I want to get into the the meat and potatoes of of because you've got so much. And and the other thing I didn't mention in your and I should have because I had it written down is when you got out of prison, and this is another thing I want to talk about because I think it's so important, you went deep into reentry on a peer-to-peer mentoring, and it actually had real results. And I want to get into that because that's not actually – that that whole program you put together was working, and it's not now being done. Maybe it was because of COVID, whatever the case is, but I also want to talk to you about that because I, I got sure. – you sent me that, and uh, I – also got an opportunity to, to read that and see what great work was being done and the percentages that were going down. And I was so impressed with the fact that you got people to voluntarily go to that because with RDAP, um, as some of you listening down in Costa Rica or the Cayman Islands, you might not know what that means, but it's a, it's a residential drug and alcohol program that's inside the prison and you live in, you know, a specified place and you do it for nine months and uh, you hopefully get a year off your prison sentence. And then after that, you also have follow-up. So what impressed me about that with your peer-to-peer mentoring was, is there's so many things with, with Halfway House and everything else that happens, but you were able to get those guys through a, a coaching. You called it coaching uh, and mentoring, and you, you got real participation out. So that's that's a whole other thing. I, I had that written down as something I was I was wanting to bring up, but that's – Something we need to get into yeah. also, no, too, Charlie. We can, we can certainly get into it. I, I would tell you that uh, Charlie's early life yeah. 
and and teen and teenage life mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and um most of his adult life is not very exciting. <laughs> so the conversation won't last very long. Um so I mean d- the, d- was your was your childhood a would you say it was a normal childhood? Would you have you had parents that were married, uh siblings uh, mm-hmm. uh what kind of neighborhood did you live in? What was your world like? Yeah, it it was uh it was as it was as TV uh, you know drama as you could get. We mother father happily married. Um, you know, probably the poster uh, parents for love and marriage. Hardworking, um, dedicated to my their their children. I have one sister. We grew up in suburbia, yeah. middle class. My father was an incredibly smart and and hardworking individual. Um, he uh, you know came out of Korea and just went to work. And um, my mom was a teacher, and she dedicated her life to 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 being a teacher. Um, I uh, I was the ultimate rule follower. You know whatever my parents told me to do, I basically did. I did take took no risks. For most of my life, um, you know, I just followed the normal path. Was it a strict household, Charlie, that you, I mean, when you said you were a rule follower, dad works hard, mom's a teacher, was it a strict household you lived in? No, no, no. I I think they just, they were incredibly successful at imparting on us basic Moral principles, uh-huh. conscious work ethics, and dedication, so that you owned it without having them dictated to you. And my sister and I, I followed that path. My, my sister um, was uh, she was more of an explorer. I was more of the academic, mm-hmm. but we both went on very healthy paths, um, and you know, followed the normal lead. Yeah, you. you graduate high school, you go to college the next day. Uh-huh. <laughs> graduate college, and you go to graduate school the very next day. Right. You go to graduate school, you leave, and you get a job, and you get married. Life cycle. Uh-huh. You wait a few years, you have a child. Wait a few years, you have another child. Everything's perfect. So did you, it sounds like the plan was, well, it, you know, yeah. was, the, was the plan, Charlie, when you were in college, uh, did, did you always know that she kind of wanted to get into to law and be an attorney? No, 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 no. Um, my family doesn't have a, a lot of professionals. Mm-hmm. Um, in um, in college, I actually made the decision that I would have science as my 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 uh, focus, and kind of that political science balance. Yeah. Um, I did okay first year in science, and then I hit a brick wall, and chemistry just ruined me. <laughs> so, um, you know, ruined me. The word and, chemistry uh, scares me. So that right, I, <laughs> right. So once I veered off and found that chemistry was not something I could I could uh, succeed in, I knew that I wasn't going to go through the schooling as a as a as a pre med. Yeah. So I shift to shifted and. The natural sequence of events was I focused on political science and I 
did have certain science courses throughout. So I graduated with what I thought was a fairly, you know, balanced academic uh, experience. Sure. It wasn't simply reading, you know, textbooks about world politics. Um, and I, I felt good about it. Um, and then I just applied to law school, went to law school. Um, I did really well my first year of law school, um, so well that I was asked to join Law Review, wow. okay, which is a, it's a fairly, um, you know, uh, yeah, you'd be unique, at the top of your unique class. Unique and high quality, yeah, high exactly. Grade, yeah. And I, uh, I was on Law Review and I graduated law school and got a, a job immediately and just went to work. And, um, so that was a normal path. And I, I shifted firms along the way in order to find one that I felt was most in line with my, my, my dreams for the future, what I wanted to do, surrounded by people that you want to learn from, mm -hmm. which is just as important, and um, allowed you to have some kind of lifestyle balance. Those are the factors you use. So you, you got out, you did well, I mean, you did well in law school. It sounds like you kind of did well in school, period. That was one of your things that you prided yourself yeah. in. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I have two children that are incredibly um, uh, academically successful. Mm -hmm. um, so I wasn't at that level, yeah. but I did fine. And um, I, um, I followed, I think, a fairly normal you know, normal path towards but you academic could, I mean, success. From reading, though, Charlie, you know, I've when you got out of, of law school and you became an attorney, um, I don't know how fast that path was for you, but you became a very successful attorney, and it was it kind of veered into big deals, real estate deals. Uh, like, what was your? I, I'm assuming you said, did you did you get married right out of law school? Uh, not right out of law school. Okay. I, I, okay. I, uh, I'm, I'm divorced, but I met my first wife in, in law school. Yeah. We, um, we got married, we got married several years later. Wait, was she in um, law school also? Yes. yes oh, well, yes. there you uh, go. We met, you go. Right, we met in law school yeah. towards the tail end. She got, we got married later on. Uh, she's a successful, you know, attorney today and, um, you know, very highly skilled in a particular discipline of law, yeah. um, well-respected in her area. Um, so, you know, I, I was, that was the trajectory from day one and there was no reason to veer off it. And I, of course, never veered off it. Yes. I got a job. Yeah. I worked at a firm. I moved to another firm and I, I eventually made my way to, um, to a kind of a mid-sized firm where I moved up that ladder within the firm quickly. And I became a partner probably by my sixth year of practicing law. Okay. So you, you, you were on a very fast early. Path. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. very early. And eventually that firm merged another firm and we, we kept growing and, um, you know, became partners in large, you know, recognized national AMLOR 100 law firms. Mm -hmm. Um, um, and all those years were, were, you know, valuable experiences for me. Valuable. So one of the things, you know, reading, cause you, you can learn so much about what you sent me. And I, I, 
one of the things I was taking away from that is, is that because you were, and this happens always when you're doing well and, you know, the private schools and the things that happen and all the uh, material things around you because you're in that world. Did that, was that a, a fuel for you, Charlie, or was it, because, you know, it's funny how that works with, and I guess it, it would be the same as an attorney as it would be in an entrepreneur in business. There's two ways to look at wealth. One is it's a way to keep score. Um, and the other is it's really important because you want those things. What, what, what did that, how did that work in your mind when you were getting to that point where you were in that special place where you had acquired yeah, you know, hindsight's always the most valuable education you're going to get. Um, so you look back and I, when you go through this process, you reflect and you try to see where you might have veered off the road and what events occurred that influenced you uh, more than other events, where your priorities adjusted, decisions were made. Um, I cannot find a specific inflection point. Uh, it is a combination of events, but what you what you realize is that all of the decisions that were made along the way were yours. Mm -hmm. You point. can it, you cannot attach any of those decisions to another person. There might have been influences. There might have been pressure points, but if you sit and you point the finger at anyone other than the one you see in the mirror, you are completely misguided. Mm -hmm. And once you own the, your own conduct, your own life, you can move forward and embrace the opportunities that lie ahead. If not, you're going to simply fester on <laughs> yesteryear and yesteryear is, is, has no value. It, you can't make money if you miss the investment in the market that occurred yesterday. True. So yeah, so you have to just use it as a learning um, curve, learn a learning experience, and you move forward. So I don't, I don't, I make it, make it my business never to point the figure at anyone else. I made the decision to attach myself to a particular person or people or environment. I made the decision to go left versus right, up versus down. And um, I learned from that. Yeah, and I, I do. do I mean, that, that's, a, that's a good point, Charlie, because you, you in, in mistakes, the one thing you want to do with mistakes is because they make you wiser, they don't define you, but they, mm -hmm. they, uh, they make you wiser so that you can get and evolve to your next big deal and not make that mistake. Uh, the only thing that can kill you with mistakes is making the same mistake twice. That's the one that's the, you know, the killer. Cause that's, you know, I think Jack Nicholas says you can, you can hit a bad shot on a hole. Just don't make two bad shots. It really messes up the hole, but, that's co that's uh, correct. but Charlie, when you got into your nightmare, it, it appears that there was something else going on over here and you were the attorney and you were over here and, I were you taken by surprise that you were pulled into this stuff over here? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, w without uh, without um, 
providing um, a men's background because it's not really relevant yeah. other than to say that, you know, you know, law enforcement engages in scrutiny on everybody. And sometimes that scrutiny comes about because of your attachment to others. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the scrutiny comes about because of your own conduct. Uh, in my case, it came about because of my relationship with others. However, what I was found guilty of has nothing to do with anyone else. Right. Has nothing to do with anyone else. Um, I just became the focus as a result of having attached with others whose conduct was independently evaluated. And I was asked to participate in that government inquiry. and. Um, and for professional reasons, um, I elected not to, um, or I avoided it to the extent I could with advice of, of lawyers. Mm-hmm. Um, the result was I opened up my own independent investigation, and you know my my offenses involve you know money. It involves my own personal taxes and conduct around that income, and um, found guilty after trial. So um, it's, it's really important to be aware of your, of your surroundings. It's mm-hmm. always important in life, if people can take anything out of this, just be mindful that it's not that you shouldn't connect with people, but just be mindful to what extent you're connecting, what role they play in your life, and how to manage that. Mm-hmm. Um, and today I'm much more careful about it, not to avoid but just to be conscious of. Yeah, more because, aware. You know, you talked about vulnerability. Vulnerability is is usually a negative connotation. It actually allows you to connect. Mm-hmm. To be vulnerable lets you be authentic, lets you connect with people. So if I refuse to be vulnerable, I'll simply live in under a rock. I, I still have to take risks. I still have to expose myself. But that doesn't mean I have to be cavalier about it. Yeah. So the charge today is not to live under a rock and be fearful. The charge today is to manage who I am, embrace the opportunities that are in front of me, but be conscious of where those opportunities might not be as healthy as the ones that are. Yeah. Yeah. When you went through your process, did it, did it last a long time? Um, was it months, years? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'll uh, I'll give you a chronology. Yeah. Um, yeah. My offense involved income, un- unreported income for the calendar year 2005. Um, I was uh, indicted in 2010, just about, just towards the end of the statute of limitations period. Wow, it's five years. And um, yeah, and um, I was I went to trial in 2012, three day trial. Jury came back in a couple three hours, guilty. You know, it, it's a it's a tax charge. It's a conduct charge. This is not uh, you know white collar crimes are all involved subject matters that are, that are very nuanced. Mm-hmm. And um, it's difficult to explain those nuanced subjects to a jury of your peers. It's difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, hindsight, do you question whether you should have gone to trial? Of course you do. You would be oblivious to the world if you did <laughs> At the same time, I surrounded myself by highly skilled, well-respected practitioners who counseled me within the skill set they had and provided me with sufficient basis to believe that there was a defense or an inability of the government to be successful in showing beyond reasonable doubt that I was guilty of the conduct. I made that decision with them, and some of it had to do with the fact that being guilty of a felony, or whether it's by jury or whether it's by admission, would result in the immediate surrendering of my law license. Mm -hmm. It's not negotiable. Mm -hmm. Morally, as well as pursuant to the rules of, of ethics that govern lawyers. So I struggle with it over and over. If I give, if I acknowledge the guilt because of the risks that I face when going to trial, I'm giving up my law life. Mm -hmm. It was, it was the first very difficult decision I made and it, it opens up a conversation about being a lawyer. Well, I was going to say, Charlie, I was thinking while you were talking about that, I almost think that the idea of the plea bargain might be tougher for an attorney who's versed in the law, lives in the law, knows the processes of the law that I don't know if there's something down in your bones that says, I'm going to take this through the processes that I'm entitled to before I'm ready to fall on the sword. And I hadn't really thought about that before, but I think that an attorney knows so much more than the guy, the business guy or the whatever uh, he's yeah. being told, you know, by mm -hmm. the attorney, but that's different than being the attorney. You know, it, it's, it, on one hand, it's true. On the other hand, the attorney is also conscious of the success rate of the government and the um, the difficulty it is to defend yourself, especially with the within the federal system. Yeah, they have a ninety-seven percent win-win rate. Yeah, good. Very good. So uh, you you manage in your head what I was leading up to in the my prior comment regarding. Um, the notion of being a lawyer is giving up my license was basically giving up my persona. Mm -hmm. Who I was was 100% built around being an attorney. Well, I, I the, the other the thing, morning, but Charlie, the other thing that I, because I, I want to get this in there, you, it's, you're going to trial. You went to trial. That whole idea was your family in that decision with you that dad, what are you doing? Husband, what are you doing? Did you talk about it with them or was it really actually Charlie saying with his attorneys, this is, this is my best move. This is, or was it, was it a family thing? You know, at the time I will, uh, I'm, I'm disappointed to admit. And I've done, I've admitted this, many times since, but I'm, I'm disappointed to say again publicly that um, it was a completely selfish decision. I did not 
sufficiently include the critical people in my life who were going to be impacted by my decisions to a magnitude that might be in excess of my own. Yeah. Okay. And I didn't. And uh, those are struggles that I have, I had to work through. How old would they have and been? And I worked the through them every day. The, the two kids. How old would the kids have been? Yeah, my, my children at the time, um, my daughter was going into college and my son was in medical school. So young adults. Yeah, young adults. Yeah. Smart, on a very good road, clear paths. But I, you know, I had to work through that. So what was their feedback to you? Well, there was a lot of tension. I was divorced. Um, I was, you know, in a in a entering into another relationship at the lowest point of my life, which is further evidence that my it's not uncommon, my, though, my, Charlie. <laughs> it, 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 it might not be uncommon. Yeah, it is. It is poisonous. Sure, because yeah. all you're doing is adding, you know, uh, burdens that are of no value now, yeah. you know, so, and there's just further evidence that you've made bad decisions. Yeah. You've made decisions that have impacted yourself that are misguided, mm -hmm. just, you know, stipulated. We can, we can move past that. So <laughs> for me, giving up my law license was giving up who I was. Yeah. I would basically crawl into a rock and there's no reason for me to exist. I woke up in the morning, I went to work, I put my suit on. Yeah. I wanted to do, I wanted to do good. I wanted to represent my clients. I was a transactional lawyer. I loved it. Mm -hmm. I loved the energy that came from it. I enjoyed the exchange with my colleagues. I enjoyed the exchange with the other side. I think I had a very good um, um, reputation. I can't say that I was the smartest, the brightest bulb. But I had the ability to surround myself by very, very smart people. And what, um, what I knew then is what I know now. And that is that, you know, I know what I don't know more than I know what I know. <laughs> so I always surrounded myself by good people. Yeah. And I think that's when it smart. came to my professionals, I didn't necessarily surround myself with the right people um, as clients and as in my personal life. And that's where you, f I fell off. I yeah. fell off the rails, made bad choices, choices that. Did you feel like you were falling off the rails or was it a surprise to you that, Oh my God, I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe I found myself in this position. Well, the, um, the number of neon signs w could have lit up, <laughs> you know, Broadway, without without any doubt looking back on it that right. said i didn't you know okay they're neon signs right. big, big deal i'm you know i'm me and it you know you you um you you get this you get this superpower almost the super optimism mm -hmm. that i'm invincible or this is just so small no one really cares and mm -hmm. you know in my case there were there were financial pressures self-imposed. Mm -hmm. I'm not pointing the finger anywhere right. else. And those self-imposed pressures caused me to engage in conduct that I could have mitigated. Yeah. The amount in controversy in my case was a small amount. Was less, the less than I made in a year. Yeah. So these, these were just foolish 
decisions that I had the skills to mitigate, to eliminate, to avoid, but you know, I'm bad. I made bad choices and, um, and I paid the price. Well, let's, but worse let's, than my price was the price that everyone around me paid. Oh yeah. No, everybody, which, which, I, is, which is one thing people tend to ignore. No. And I think that's one of the things that, um, you know, the more that we all talk together, there's a similarity of, of the fact that if somebody does have a family, that the family also goes to prison in their own way and they have to survive in their own way. You know, the one person actually goes to prison and then everybody else feels and is a part of that prison sentence and they have to survive in, in their world. And, and hopefully if you have a family that can lean on each other, they can help each other out. But it's a, it's a tough, tough thing for families to go through and survive it. For sure. And I think once you get through it and you actually make it through it, uh, there is a sense within the family that, whew, wow, we survived. And it's a weird thing. You can't really talk about that a lot because it sounds strange. We survived prison, but it is a feeling of, thank God we survived. Because a lot of times it doesn't. Uh, you know, you're 100% right. Uh, you know, I, I don't I don't embrace the philosophy that I'm I'm – you know, I'm great, grateful I went to prison. Wow. I do not buy that. It is it is misguided. Um, if somebody wants to believe it, good for them. But for me, whatever road I ended up traveling, I had to figure out how to traverse. Yeah, I'm not happy I went to prison. No. There, there's no. that would be so disingenuous. No, because it takes your reputation. It's a disappointment. It's it's right. it's your your pride. All that stuff that you have to deal with. Correct. But. Charlie, one of the things I do want to talk about, though, is that you went to trial and then you got the sentence. And a lot of times what happens is, is that you walk out of that courtroom, you wait for the uh, letter and the mail, and then it tells you where to go and you show up. That's a voluntarily, you voluntarily surrender. That didn't happen with you and was was that a surprise to you that, that what happened was is that you immediately went into custody? Yes, yes. It was a total shock. Um, I, you know, I, 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 don't really, I, I, I don't really question the judge's decision because it doesn't serve me any purpose right. at all. Um, but as but far as I what was, was going re- through your mind, mm. you were sentenced and then you immediately – while you're going through, oh my gosh, I just lost this yeah. case, and the juries, and then uh, most of the time you're going to walk out of there, and in this case right, you right. didn't, and you went to uh, probably the county jail. Yes, yeah. well, uh, no. In, in my case, it was a little bit uh, more dramatic. So I I practiced law to the night before I was sentenced. I surrendered my law license uh, by executing paperwork in advance. But it took place about uh, two weeks after I, sur- I was, was taken into custody at, at sentencing. But I was still practicing law and, and enjoying it. And it was part of who I was. Um, but I was in t- contemplated and properly executed documents with the advice of an ethics lawyer to properly surrender my license and wind down my practice. And I took the time between... Um, the jury's verdict and the sentencing date to put in place what I needed to do. Sure, the notion of being remanded was presented to me, but it was so de minimis in likelihood that I didn't give it a lot of thought. But I 
so I, I left a lot undone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was remanded. The reasons, you know, are left to the judge, and um, that's not an appealable issue at the moment, at least it wasn't. Um, and in the federal system, if you're in a large city, you're taken into a detention center, which is basically a maximum security um, prison, not not a um, not not with any open air. Mm-hmm. And the the population is a diverse group of people who are charged pending, who are found guilty pending designation, or in or in transit. Mm-hmm. between facilities or there for hearings or other trials. You know, even if even though you're in prison, you can be a witness in another case mm-hmm. and you can be brought in. So the population is basically filled with people who have been accused or found guilty of every single federal offense known. And without regard to um, offense levels, which is how you get designated between the federal prison camp to the to the supermax based upon the the, the conduct. Right. Um, so you're you're basically thrown in that, and it's a very restricted, controlling, an environment that is not even what you would see on television, because the government is they're, they're holding you, and they they don't have the time to simply. segregate everybody Mm -hmm. um and it's because it's temporary but temporary can last i've met guys who were in there for five and six years you know there are somebody who is one of 300 defendants and they're cooperating they're not going to be sentenced until all 299 are sentenced so they're (laughs) sitting there for years good lord um and uh, i went from one detention facility to another of course, you go by bus. Not good to travel as a prisoner. No, no, you you get you get chained and shackled, mm-hmm. and um, you. I went to another one, and I waited there until designation. Um, designation while you're in custody doesn't mean that you will get transferred. Mm. So even though you know where you're going, the transfer window could take weeks or months based upon availability of space on a bus, timing of the bus schedule, where they are going, you know, there are all kinds of factors. And last but not least, the bed, the bunk, where you're going. Mm-hmm. If there's no bunks, they can't take you in. So you sit there. So I waited a probably around five total months between two federal detention facilities. You know, and you make the best of it. Um, you you get a job, you try to keep yourself occupied, but it is true incarceration. It's hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you know you know having never been there before, you learn from the population. You learn to listen, but accept only that which you've heard. You know, you, you, until you see it yourself, you don't ne- ne- necessarily agree with everybody. And eventually I made my way to a prison camp. and um, Which was probably it, a welcome relief at that point. Oh, I mean, I, the, the day I was transferred, it was transferred late on a Friday. We arrived. We went into the 
to the main facility, which was a medium. And then the the uh, the officer said, "Okay, you can just walk outside and go up the hill, and you go to the camp." And I said, "What do you mean walk outside?" <laughs> so yeah, just you don't need us. No, can, just go to your because, day. Because right, because the federal system has has uh, levels, and yeah. there's yeah. a certain there's a certain inherent trust that's given at various levels. So so I got to prison, and um, I you know I I don't talk about it a lot anymore because it's been many years, mm-hmm. but I mm-hmm. think what what I did in prison that was the most important for me was establishing the routine, which included a nine to five job. Yep, totally agree with you, Charlie. And I think you and I actually did the same job. We were both in the warehouse of clerks, yeah. Yeah. and and uh, I think for me. Uh, it really, and it was physical, you know, uh, moving all the food and, and, right. and, right. and I, I actually, you know, learned, I got forklift certified. So I felt like I was yeah. doing something to kind of, I would have never have gotten forklift right. certified, but it, it certainly did eat up time. And I think what you just said is one of the most important things because the, there's only two types of people in prison, the ones that have given up and the ones that are trying to make it work. And I think by having a legitimate job that eats up time makes you feel more like yourself. Spot on. You think about it. My life outside routine was getting up, going to work and being off on weekends in theory. As a lawyer, of course, weekends are very limited, but you know, your personal life, because you have to work, but that was my routine. It was very important. It was also important to have responsibility and to be recognized to have responsibility. And, you know, I was surrounded by some guys uh, that I respected and they, I followed their lead. And mm-hmm. as they thankfully left, I moved up the ranks and I basically, you know, had a desk with a typewriter, no computers. <laughs> and I did, and I moved up to the paperwork level yeah. and had decision-making responsibility which allowed me to see that that you know things ran as smoothly as they could for the benefit of the folks that were I were I was you know incarcerated with sure. because you know delivering food to them and then eventually I actually got a step up and I was uh, designated as the as the facility driver yeah and so I, you left you know, the campus all the time yeah i i drove I would get a uh, basically a furlough, a, you know, a day mm-hmm. pass with instructions, and they would give me a cell phone and a GPS. Actually, if I wanted it back <laughs> in those days, they were separate, and they would. I go to the, you know, to the the pool, the, the vehicle pool, and I could drive to the Home Depot, to the CVS. I could drive to, um, you know, to the hospital to take somebody. Um, I went to the airport. I went to pick up in a truck loads of food and waited. I, I drove officers around. Yeah. So I had a, a interesting experience, and I was driving on the highway. But you like had earned guy. you had earned that, which is is uh, part of that mental thing too. You they were allowing you to take that job and basically a trust mechanisms in there that you're not leaving and not coming back. You're you're actually going to perform Correct. your your task and, and come back yeah, to prison. Yeah. 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 Look, there are a lot of restrictions and you break the rules. You're done. Yeah. So 
and I, you know, being a rule follower, they weren't difficult. Yeah. I honored them, you know, as, and I, I spent my time efficiently. I worked. Um, so my weekends were very distinct from my weekday. Very distinct. Yes. Well, and, and, and I, I, I'm trying to remember the amount of time that you were given. Was it? Four, uh, I had, four. I got, I, no, I got 70 months. 70 I got, months. I got 70 months, which is the top of the, I got enhanced twice. Yeah. They thought a lot and, of you, Charlie, yeah, to give you 70 months. Yeah, Jeez. I spent no time evaluating the propriety of the court's decision. It, it is. Oh yeah. I, I know. Move forward. <laughs> I've accepted it. And, and, you know, so I went to work, I lived my life. I got, I, and I moved from one facility getting a furlough and I flew down to Florida and transferred to another facility yeah. and I went into the RDAP program and I got a job inside the RDAP program basically with an office. I had an office and a desk. L literally, I had an office and a desk in a building and I did paperwork and and again, I felt, I felt complete mm -hmm. in the sense that I had purpose. I left RDAP and I left to go to a halfway house. Which, I think it's always all of your listeners say is is materially worse than than the in prison environment because it's an unregulated facility. It doesn't have the organization of the BOP. Totally agree. And you you can bitch and complain about the BOP all you want. But there are rules and they have to follow them and there's some level of accountability inside of the uh, halfway house system it is it is ad hoc field day mm -hmm. yeah. um so you know and and everybody around you is is a mixed population mm -hmm. there's, All no, there's no right and most of the folks given the fact that there's this what 60 something percent recidivism rate out there mm -hmm. most of the folks are just are just reorganizing for for their next bid <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, you you know where you you don't want to remember that. Right. Other, other guys, you know, it, it's a badge of honor to be to go through the system. So. So when you um when you were getting out, you started thinking about getting out. I think you know it's it's that t that kind of weird time period where you've been in this world, primitive world. You're doing your thing. You're on your routine. What was your thoughts about getting out when you started getting close to the door, knowing that your time was getting close? I, I had a, some personal um, um, hurdles that I had to get over without boring the audience. Basically, I was m married just before I was incarcerated. And as I was leaving, um, having changed my release jurisdiction from one city to another based on where my uh, then wife wanted to reside. Um, she advised me that we were, she was filing for divorce concurrent with my date of departure, mm. my date of release. So I was forced not only in the halfway house, but also to be there for an extended period because you didn't have a um, home plan. Right. Yeah. And the home that I was going to, although approved, was no longer available to me. Mm -hmm. um, so I had to do uh, my own little re re reorganization. Um, it took, it took its, um, it took its time and toll. Mm -hmm. And, but you know, I had already been through a, a twisted road that had, that had serious 
um, uh, <laughs> you know, rocks and boulders, both and 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 weather conditions that were just beyond imaginable. <laughs> well, don't don't said, you right, don't you think though, Charlie, that that's one of the things that you walk away with is that uh, when you're presented something, you know, because of what you've gone through, that you absolutely know more than you did before that I can adapt to this and I can probably step through it, even though it's going to taste so bad or whatever it's going to take. There's, there's a feeling that after going through what you've been through, I don't like it. I'm going to have to do this, but you know what? I probably can. Well, you definitely get a sense of, of, confidence not conceit confidence yeah. that you will see you can survive that you will survive yeah. you know time is the ultimate healer and it's that's kind of a you know, cliche but it's not because it does it does allow things to get repositioned in your head and adjust your priorities so i confronted it i dealt with it and um it's not easy no you know it, it's not easy to Deal with now the the past because remember, I uh, you, you when you when you go through a process when you're young, you don't have any history. You're pure. I think we talked be, before we, we started about the notion <laughs> of when you when you graduate law school and you apply for your law license, you, you it's all academic. That's right. You, you know, at at 25, there's very little behavioral history that's problematic. Right. You're getting ready to start well, your record. Right. Right. Well, in your fifties and your sixties, there is a lot of different five things. decades worth <laughs> of behavioral sure. conduct. Some of which in my case included a felony and that's not so easy. Right. So you have to deal with that. And it does give you not a, superpower but it does get you to be humble about the fact that this is just another hurdle that you need to confront it might not be as easy as the prior one mm -hmm. and it might take longer but well and i want to i want to talk about those, those steps you took because um you actually did quite a few things and one of them being the peer-to-peer -peer mentoring uh when you were thinking about that Charlie, how far, how long had you been out before that became real, actually in yeah, place? So, yeah, so I was um, I was out about uh, three years. Okay, two and a half, three years. When I got out, I, um, I I waited a couple of years and got my my sense of uh, stability. Yeah, got get your an sea legs back. <laughs> Yeah, I got an apartment, yeah. um, felt uh, stable in the sense that I could have a place to sleep. There wasn't people scrutinizing my behavior. Mm -hmm. um, and um, But I was still on federal probation. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, probation really, for the, for the audience, probation's purpose is not to police you. It's really to support you. And if you feel like they're policing you, you're missing the mark mm -hmm. because I found it to be non-problematic. Mm -hmm. You know, if you approach it with a positive attitude, it's, it's, it's my really only problem with it was, is I just wanted to be done. You know, it's like you get out of prison. You just want to, to shake it all off. You want right. it, all of it to be done. And you're like, 
damn, they're still with me. They're still right yeah. here. I'm still doing this monthly thing, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing that. That was the thing I had. I didn't really talk about it much, Charlie, because it was more like, you know, poor me. But that was what was rolling in my head. It was when I finally got off of that probation, I was like, ah, okay, I feel different. There's no doubt, but you earn it. And also, to some degree, and I know I, I don't want to see, I don't want to sound like a, a, uh, an advocate for, for incarceration, because I'm not, obviously, but its purpose is also to provide steps, mm-hmm. allows you to evolve, which mm-hmm. is one of my favorite words. Mm-hmm. Evolve. You know, evolve is not an overnight thing. No. It's part of your evolution mm-hmm. because you need to, to gradually adapt to the next environment and if there wasn't some way of providing a check and balance you could go off to the you know to the right or left and drop mm-hmm. and you need a parachute sure so i took advantage of it that way i didn't allow it to be a burden on me and yeah they it was fairly um matter of fact yeah um but so on the peer-to-peer side what happened um is I contacted an attorney regarding my the steps to be readmitted to the bar. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew that I needed to take a long and hard look about myself and about all the things that I needed to meet those criteria. Did your kids know you were going to do this? I didn't share with many people at all. Um, I was introduced to somebody at the federal probation who, um, you know, had, who had as part of his mission uh, an intention to help folks who really needed guidance that, that the federal officers themselves really couldn't give. Mm -hmm. So the concept of the peer to peer was simply this. Rather than feeling restrained or held back by talking to somebody from with an official title, perhaps people will be more open and feel more comfortable in exchanging with their true peers. Um, so we presented this concept to U.S. to probation. Um, we integrated it with the. Uh, what is known as the reentry court, which is a court within the federal. Um, uh, I didn't even know there was such a thing until yeah, I was reading yeah, uh, your, yeah, your your paperwork. Yeah. yeah, and and it's it's usually for for folks that have been incarcerated for some, for some period of time, mm-hmm. um, uh, not white collar offenders generally, but they come out and um, if they do good, and I use that term, you know, if they if they really do well and they stay focused and they're there to help. They're mm-hmm. to help them find the job. They're help them maybe get a particular certificate, secure um, some financial assistance, and the government assists you. They they subsidize things. Mm-hmm. I, I, one guy in particular, you know, wanted to get his his commercial driver's license. Then he needed commercial insurance, mm-hmm. and they were willing to work with him to accomplish that impressive for me so so we made a presentation to the eastern district and the judges who support this court um they embraced it and we provided 
a forum where folks who were leaving the system, who were dealing with struggles, both state and federal, could join in a meeting and share. And we set up uh, some guidelines and some rules. So we had some structure. We established confidentiality. And for quite a long period, several years, it was flourishing. Well, um, you, I think you had like over 250 people or whatever in this program. Um, right? I, no, I don't think it was in, in the full reentry court. Yes. Maybe, in that, was, program, maybe that was yeah. the full number. Okay. Right. But, but we didn't have that many and it flowed. It was floating every week. Sure. But at the end of the day, it, it uh, if one person derived a net gain, it was it was successful. Yeah. Um. So the, you know, and so I for the most was. part, it, you it 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 filled you up in the fact that you felt like you were making an impact or a difference. Oh, one hundred percent. When when I got out, I also made it my business to try to volunteer. You know, look, I, I'm lucky. I had a family to provide some level of emotional support. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a lot of financial support, although my family would step up when I needed. Mm -hmm. Um, And I realized that some of the nonprofits, I'm going to make a little negative statement. The nonprofits were not really willing to take on someone like me as a volunteer. Mm. I was not well received, and I had tried to reach out to many dozens, and it just wasn't happening. That's interesting because I I would think in your capacity, Charlie, with your background and having a legal background, that you would be someone that they would almost seek out in a nonprofit. Yeah, and maybe I didn't go about it the right way. Um, but it, 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 I was not, um, it, well, I wasn't well received, um, initially and yeah. I, I, but I did take, I did take the time to add myself on the, on the roster of a few organizations and did some good and I felt positive. And when this came about, it was an, it was an additional, um, step and, how long did that stay in play? The peer to peer? Oh, several years, several years, all through COVID. All through COVID. All through, we did it through uh, Zoom through COVID. Um, and, um, you know, look, look, it's peer-to-peer, so I got out of it as much as I put in it. Sure. It wasn't, it wasn't always about them. It was about me. Um, Absolutely. And you feel part of a group. You feel part of a group. You know, well, it's kind of like the safety. Jeff Grant thing that, you know, uh, that you and I are part of. Correct. Uh, you come in there every Monday night because it, you feel like you're a part of that. And, and we have a unique situation that we've all gone through. Obviously we all have different paths of how we got there, but we have a uniqueness right. of being in that, all of this in the same world. And I think that's what yeah. draws everybody together. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, it, it's, it was part of my, my, uh, my rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was part of it. Um, Without any certificate, you know, you know, it was just part of me completing the steps I needed to evolve. But Charlie, with, I mean, did you know, I mean, I know you talked to the attorney and he talked about the steps and how hard it was going to be, but, and reading that, gosh, what is it? 80 page document or whatever it is for that motion. Did you know that it was going to be that deep? of a, a dive to make it happen. 
Well, uh, look, I, I'm I'm grateful. I hired a uh, a bona fide expert attorney, um, and had immense confidence in her ability. Mm-hmm. And she was clear with me about the complexity of it. But uh, you know, look, I'm having been a lawyer, and now one again. I didn't take it casually. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I always was proud of was the fact that I was really grateful for the opportunity to practice law. Yeah, it was it wasn't something that I earned it, and I was grateful that I had the the ability to practice. You liked what you did, and and I loved it. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. But there was always I didn't take it for granted, Mm -hmm. so I approached the readmission process with the same integrity. Whether they, whether the board and the Supreme Court had that as part of its 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 criteria and decision making wasn't relevant to me. What it was relevant for me is that if I'm going to get this back, it's because I want it. Yeah. And I've earned it, and I've benefited along the way to confirm in my mind that I'm proud to be an attorney. Yeah. So. Um, so I did, and I went down the path very carefully, mm-hmm. very methodically, mm-hmm. very slowly. Oh, I can tell that by reading and, through this whole. And, you know, um, it it's like a book. A, yeah, it's about a three. It was about a three to four year process from the initial thinking. Um, it's it is it is gut wrenching personally. Yeah. Charlie, what did you feel like though? Once I mean, I'm reading that, and it's you know, you first read it, it says it's granted, then you read through the whole thing. What what in the world went through your mind that you put all this work in, and this motion comes back and it's granted? Like, are you? What's the feeling of that? Yeah, you know, it's um, look, I um, one of the criteria of of being reinstated is that there is. There is a confirmation of your rehabilitation. Yes. One of the blessings that I have, unlike others, is that I have a formal judicial body has confirmed that you're rehabilitated. There is sufficient evidence to support my rehabilitation. That is immense in its. Do you think that we should have something like that overall? I, I, you know, I don't know. I have no, I have no, I, I do know that it's not casually given. Yeah. It is a very carefully um, evaluated uh, application. The people that review it take it really seriously. There is law about it and it's very, every jurisdiction is differently. I'm just wondering, like, if you think about, like, uh, one of the biggest things that I see for, like, reentry is the the idea that you have to check the box if you're looking for a job or you have to check the box if you're trying to to rent a place to live. But if there was maybe a process that you earned, that you are handed and said you are deemed rehabilitated, so you no longer have to, you're you're exempt. Um. You know, you maybe know, the, maybe I, there's something around in that realm because I, I don't think that things are going to get to a certain point until we get to the point where we're not absolutely crucifying people uh, through reentry, taking away most of their 
opportunities to get to a house or a job. It's right. It's a very interesting subject. Um, For for the felon to to move forward their life, they do need chances to succeed. And chances to succeed requires interaction with other people. And if other people are hesitant to interact, um, those chances go down. Yeah. Yeah. Good so, point. Great point. Correct. Correct. You are correct when you when you present the notion that a certificate of rehabilitation might open doors. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you would do it. I, I haven't either. given it thought, and I I'm not suggesting that giving my law. It's really the first I, time I was thinking about it, though. Yeah, <laughs> to no, tell you the truth, and and I've reflected on the fact that being having the privilege to practice law again. Both, um, both from a from the notion of a man who has been deprived by his own conduct, mm-hmm. I deprived myself of it. To a notion of somebody that's earned it back, I have I have achieved my own self recognition of rehabilitation. Exactly, which is a huge now, thing. I'm, it's and I'm I'm grateful that the Supreme Court confirmed it. I felt confident and comfortable that I had achieved it, and it's great to have somebody, uh, uh, somebody, uh, uh, you know, a official governmental right. body to to affirm uh, it. Um, you know, I I have the same license that I had when it was when I was disbarred. Well, my license status hasn't changed. Yeah. But I have changed. Yes. Well, so I have the same rights and privileges. But I mean, I'm your kids have to be so proud, though, Charlie. Right? Yeah. I, 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 we don't really talk about it a lot. I mean, I would think because yeah, you're back in the you're back. You did it. You 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 put yourself back and and had to go through and and uh, swim through the ugly mud water and and get to where you wanted to go, which I think is you should be very proud. Because uh, a lot of people say they want to do that. I've talked to people who've lost their law license. My dad was one of them. He never got his law license again, and he graduated number one in his class so in law school. So there is a, a thing that you have to get through to say, I'm going to do this because, uh, you know, it's, you're putting yourself out there, and you, and, you, and, you, and you put yourself out there, and it works. But, Charlie – on saying all that, because you're 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 very um, articulate in how you walk through people through your story, but what do you think's your biggest takeaway through everything that you've been through? So, so there, the, there's no doubt that the process is debilitating yeah it is draining yeah but the takeaway for me really rests on the fact that i was that i've taken advantage of it for my debt gain and that's really the abstract concept the specifics is i'm far more authentic today than i was Mm. and because i have the authenticity of owning the events that took place because if you don't own what happened, 
you're going nowhere. Right. Let's just stop right there. Great point. Denial has no role in in this problem. No, stunts growth. Yeah. hundred percent. So yeah. once you own it, I began to realize that I can move forward, mm-hmm. that I can charge myself with the responsibility of being a a good corporate citizen. Mm-hmm. I can restore myself to the roles of a professional and I can provide bona fides to my family and friends that we can overcome. These, these are not, these are not planned events. Mm -hmm. I didn't plan on this happening, but I caused it to happen. So I now I believe I have bona fides to establish that we can overcome. It's not just my fact pattern, but life events. Yeah. Um, life events, and those those are the things that I take away today. And I hope others, you know, find that same purpose. No, no, it doesn't I think, have to be incarceration. It could be. Any, no, no, I, that's any, why I think that's a good takeaway. Yeah, right. that you can overcome. Well, you know, and, and it's it's. I know it's abstract, but you know. When you when you succeed in that sense, you know, as your as your podcast caption says, nightmare success, mm-hmm. you derive positivity from these negative events. And that positivity, you know, keeps you going. It keeps you moving forward. You you can't dwell on the past. And I, I have become this um I'm not saying I'm metaphysical, but I'm much more aware. <laughs> So I, I realize the past is merely merely experiential. Right. The future right. is conceptual. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. But the present is already gone. The yeah. conversation we just had is already the past. Done. Done. So I'm I'm really I'm I'm so really trying to record to, it. Yeah. Like, yeah. But I'm I'm nurturing myself saying. in the moment. Exactly. In the moment. Exactly. And um, you know, don't deprive yourself of the moment. You know, a, a couple little tidbits. I write every day. Yep. It could be a, it could be a word or a phrase or some lengthy thing. I believe that um, you know journaling has as as a powerful message for yourself. If you're struggling with something and you journal, the journal now owns the struggle. You don't have you you've given it to somebody else. That's a good tip. And yeah, and so I like that. Let's enjoy, let's that's a good. I mean, that's a, that's a great reason for someone to understand why you'd want to journal. I think that's like writing a book. You know, uh, I I wrote every day until I was done. It took a while. It took about a year, but the uh, it, it was the therapeutic. I can tell you oh, yeah. that it was definitely therapeutic for yeah, sure. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, you know, mental health is is equally as important as physical health. Yeah. You know, we we shouldn't diminish the importance of mental health. And probably last but not least is do not take anything for granted. Oh, and that's so true, especially when you go through an event. Uh, I was saying the other day, and I'm repeating what I said on one of the last podcasts, though, is that you, you find moments and times where you think, oh, my gosh, I'm just so glad I'm here. I'm just so glad I'm here. Because, you know, there's times in those time periods when you get a 60-month sentence or a 70-month sentence, you're not there. You know, I I think about Thanksgiving that's coming up and Christmas is coming up. And those are the worst times that you could ever have in prison because you know 
because of what's on the calendar that you're removed from the events of life going on on the outside. So, yeah, Charlie, I think if, if, if people want to get a hold of you uh, for whatever the case may be, but, you know, you are an attorney also, um, how, how do they yeah. get a hold of you? Well, I have a, I mean, my firm is CMN Advisors, so they can email me if they want okay. and just go on the web at www.cmnadvisors.com. Um, so, you know, the, the world is opportunistic um, and it doesn't cost anything. <laughs> you know, I, by the way, just so everyone knows, happiness is free. It's totally free. It doesn't cost anything. You don't anything. have to buy that. That's true. I've never seen anyone try to charge for happiness. <laughs> That's a because good... it's free. That's a great point. True happiness is free because only you can make yourself happy. So true. You, the environment around you might help, but you decided to be happy just as much as you decided to be angry. So I'm, I'm taking advantage of what's free, and I'm trying to be in the moment and happy and avoid regret. The last thing I would say is just avoid regret. It is it is debilitating, and incapable, and you're incapable of moving forward. So that's a great place to end it. That's I love that. You you summed it up right to the end there, Charlie. Um, good stuff. I, I I I love your story. It's 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 uh, you know it's got all those pieces to it. But then at the end, you had to make the decision to just grit it out and, and really get back to what you really wanted to do. Because I see that as being part of your identity in a good way, you know, that you've earned it the first time you lost it, you earned it back, but you had to fight harder for it. And the identity even means that more to you. Now. And, I, and I, I love that. I love that part of the story. I think that's a big part of your story and I love it. Um, Thank you. For anybody who wants to get a hold of me, just go to uh, brentcasty.com. Uh, I love all the messages. We can message there back and forth on that website. Uh, and you guys are, you don't know how much I love you guys leaving reviews on Apple. That's been a big surge here lately, and it really helps the show. I think it's one of the things that helped to move it up to the uh, 1.5% on the, uh, in the global ranking. And uh, I want to thank uh, everybody for the listens, the follows, the shares. If you got anything out of this show today, share it, share it, share it to whoever you own. It helps grow the show and it helps people. Uh, as I used to say when uh, I was writing my emails back and forth from prison, stay strong. I'll do the same. Charlie, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you. Thank you. Nightmare success in and out.